Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. This is a celebration day of the year bigger than Christmas. And if you grew up going to church or Sunday school or some form of it, you know, Easter Sunday might have meant a different, you know, a random different things for you. It might have meant looking for Easter eggs. It might have meant lots of chocolate. Yes, the chocolate bunny people, you know, and or there was a lot of just, you know, different ways the Easter story might have been communicated, you might even be familiar with it. And the Easter story, it was maybe a version of this. Something happened on this weekend that Jesus had been crucified. And in some way, you're not quite sure how it worked, but he died for you. He died for your sins. And he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again to show that at some point in time, we can have resurrection life too. Isn't that exciting? Except that's not the story. That's not the story. The early disciples and the early church understood and had in mind when it came to Easter Sunday. Because what they celebrated was something greater than the hope of a resurrection someday. They were celebrating resurrection now. And see, what we're celebrating today, and, and by when I say we, I'm including, you know, everyone, we're, we're, we're celebrating as followers of Jesus now. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, whether in the room or watching online, you know, we are so excited that you are here a part of this. Because I really believe something is going to come alive in your understanding about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means for your life in the 21st century. But as we're celebrating, what we're celebrating today is something more than and greater than our own future resurrection because we're celebrating a now reality that Jesus' resurrection was revealing. Now, in order to get that, in order for that to make sense, you need to know or understand the actual story that Jesus' life was fulfilling. See, if you don't know the backstory, see, if Easter for you has just, maybe the story's unfolded, it kind of happened at the cross. Maybe if you were a certain faith, it happened a few days earlier, and there was a lot of very somber things taking place, and, and the story was all about the cross and about what Jesus went through on the cross, which was horrific, but at the same time, there was like, you're like, I know this is supposed to be exciting, but I'm not quite sure why it's exciting. And then there was, you know, there was like a, maybe you celebrated the darkest Saturday where it was very sad and very dark and there were lots of candles and worship and it was, you know, kind of somber. And then Easter Sunday and it was all exciting and you wore your best outfit. You're still kind of confused. But see, if you don't know the backstory, it's kind of like watching 
The third installment of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, hello, greatest movie ever of all time. But if you just sit down and you watch Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, without watching installment one, The Fellowship of the Ring, or installment two, The Two Towers, you are not going to understand the significance of the ring. And the whole story is going to go, you're just not going to get it. And it's kind of like that with the story we're going to look at today. So if you are not familiar with the story of God and man, we are going to read the whole Bible today. So if you had supper waiting, it might be burnt by the time you got home. Actually, I'm just kidding. But we're going to do the whole story. This is what we're going to do. So if you're not familiar with the story of God and man, and even if you think you might be familiar, I think something new is going to come alive in a different way. And it starts like this, God was a good God who made everything in creation perfect and good. It was beautiful, it was perfect from day one. Now we don't know how long those days are, and frankly it doesn't matter. But God made humans to be his image bearers. And he put them in a garden. And in that garden, an image bearer meant that they were to reflect who God was, and they would rule as God would rule in creation. God also put a special tree in this garden to show that he was giving mankind free will. He'd given them one command, don't touch that tree, don't, 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 don't eat from that tree. And the reason he did this was the greatest act of love, because love, if it is forced, isn't love. Humanity needed this choice. Would they use their will for themselves to do what they wanted? Or would they use their will to love and to honor and to choose God? Unfortunately, they chose wrong. <laughs> and what happened was, because of Mankind's disobedience, which we are all guilty of this in some way. Come on, we all know that we've all wanted to do something good and then we didn't do it. We did the bad thing instead. Hello? Yes, we have. Or we say, no, 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 I'm not going to do the bad thing, but we do it anyway. We know this. We're all part of this choosing self. And so what happened? All of creation was broken. All of creation was now in a huge mess, humanity and the whole planet, everything about creation, that everything God had created that you could see, and everything about creation that we couldn't see, including the, the subatomic world and all of the stuff that, you know, the quantum world, all that science stuff that, you know, they can't see and they're kind of starting to figure out. God made all of that, but all of it was broken. And now, instead of humanity ruling on God's behalf, sin and death was ruling humanity. And humans and all of creation became slaves to the power of sin and death. Except, everyone say except. <laughs> this is the good news. God immediately makes a promise right on the heels of their disobedience. God makes a promise and then he starts to put a plan into action to rescue humanity and completely make new everything and to fix and make right what had been wrecked and destroyed by humanity, all of creation. Now, 
The Old Testament, Genesis through the books of Malachi, those books that are kind of really confusing to read at a time. But in these, God, with the, the Old Testament is really God's story of his promise that he was going to rescue humanity and make all things new. And it was actually God showing his faithfulness over and over and over that he loved humanity and he was working a plan to rescue and restore everything that had been broken. Now, part of this plan was a special group of people. You might know them as the Jews or Hebrews or the nation of Israel. And see, this is a part of the Easter story that gets missed, because, but it's the, one of the most crucial points. Because God, again, is showing that he wants to be with and he wants to work through humanity. And so he chooses a special group of people to be his messengers. And they were meant to be different than all the other nations around them. They were meant to be set apart, like we were just singing in that song. They were meant to be holy. They were meant to be set apart, not in a we're better than you way, but as a, almost as a redeeming seed in creation so that they would be called a light to the Gentiles, a light to the rest of the world because their purpose was to carry God's promise and to show through their lives God still loves his people. God still loves the world and God is working on a plan. He has not forgotten humanity and God is working on this plan to heal and restore everything. Now there were three defining moments in the nation of Israel. There were three stories that they celebrated every year. There were three stories that they would, they would talk about that God would remind them about. They kept, these stories kept coming up in Scripture. One of them was the story of Passover. It was when they were in Egypt, and in a night, God miraculously delivered almost a million people out of slavery. And part of this, this celebration, it involved a meal that involved a, a lamb, involved some bread and a cup, and they had blood that was put on the doorpost. Another story was, after coming out of slavery, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness where God was starting, he was trying to get Egypt out of them. He was starting to fashion them into the people that he saw that they could be and the people they were supposed to be. And so for 40 years, except that was a mess. <laughs> and then... The exciting part was after the 40 years, they finally came to the place of the promised land where now God was taking them into their special land where they would live and where they would be able to be this reflecting light of God's goodness to the rest of the world. Now, if you're, even if you're not Jewish, these stories are a big deal because they're representing something much bigger that God was doing behind the scenes, a bigger story that he was crafting that actually involved us. Now, how many of you have ever read the Old Testament and gone, what's up with that? <laughs> Hello, if you haven't, just try it. You'll have, you know, Genesis will be fine, Exodus will be okay, by the time you get to Leviticus, you're like, what the heck? 
Like the whole Old Testament, there is a lot of killing, a lot of blood and guts, a lot of wars, more killing, and really, really stupid, corrupt people, and they were supposed to be the good guys. Now you mix in that much, many stories of God sounding angry most of the time. And if you read that story, you'll go, what the heck? Like, this is whacked. But if you know how to look and if you know what to look for, in this story are glimpses of God's promise. Glimpses that he still loves humanity. That he is still working his plan to make things right in the world. In the world. Because this isn't just a whole bunch of random stories about how to be good people and how we should morally live. Scripture is the story of God's mission. Everyone say mission. God's mission. And so there's this sense as you're reading through the scriptures, there's this sense that the story is going somewhere. And you're like, uh, I don't know. And even when you come to the last book, Malachi, it's kind of like just stops. You're left hanging there. And it's like then, boom, Jesus shows up and everything changes. And even though the first thing that we discover of Jesus is we find him in a manger in this little village called Bethlehem. Everything we know about him, almost, almost everything, happens at this point. In Mark 1.9, this is his baptism. Jesus is about 30, day, 30 years old, and it says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. And then right after that, verse 12, listen to this. The Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. So he has this powerful moment, God, the heavens split open, a voice says, you are my beloved son, and then he is compelled to go into the wilderness where he's tested, and this was the testing that was preparing him for his mission. And when he comes out, he passes the test, he comes out in power and in authority, and he goes public with his mission, and believe it or not, his mission was not centered on the salvation of mankind. His purpose was this, Mark 1, 14. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Everyone say good news. The good news saying, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now another writer of the gospels, Luke, he worded it this way. He said, Jesus, he's recounting what Jesus had said. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. Why was Jesus sent? To bring the good news of God's kingdom. And this good news was so much bigger than they could imagine. 
Because, see, the phrase the kingdom of God meant something very specific to the Jewish ears that were hearing this proclamation. Good news was, was something that they were used to hearing, but it was usually the Romans. Because this word good news, evangelion, what it meant, it was when Caesar had moved in and had won a battle and was now the new king in charge, it meant everything was going to be different. And Caesar would send a herald all across the land. And that herald would say, good news, the king of kings, which was Caesar in the Roman ears, the king of kings is now ruling, everything is going to be different. And so here's this, this no name from the backwater of Nazareth in Galilee named Jesus. And he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom to the Jews. This was crazy because the good news of the kingdom meant that God was arriving in the flesh. He was going to rule and everything was going to be different. They had waited centuries for this proclamation. Everything was going to be put right. People and relationships systems, the economy, the way business would be conducted, the way babies were treated, the way people would be educated. Everything was going to be different. And for the next three years, everything about Jesus is revolved around this mission. And then it culminates in the last three days of this weekend that we're celebrating today. And it starts with this. We see Jesus sitting down to what's called or been known as the Last Supper with his disciples. And really, this was again the Passover reenacting the annual celebration where they were reenacting God's deliverance from slavery. 400 years of slavery. And Passover was this retelling. They had, there was a lamb that was killed. They would pass around for cups. There was special bread and other things. And they would retell the story of how God had delivered their ancestors out of Egypt. But now, centuries ago, God had commanded that they celebrate the Passover. Because that would be a sign, like a picture Pointing to what Jesus was now doing, what God in the flesh was now doing, because Jesus was becoming the Passover lamb, and his blood would be shed. His life would be given to deliver humanity and creation from slavery to something worth, worse than Egypt. He would become the Passover lamb that would be the salvation from sin and death. After supper, Jesus goes to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there with his disciples and he's praying and he's praying so intently that he literally starts sweating drops of blood. And he's in this battle of his will because he has an idea of what's coming. And he prays this prayer. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, can we do it some other way? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In a few moments, Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's arrested, he's taken to trial, and he's executed. In the most brutal torture at that time, the crucifixion. And here we have the cross, which becomes the hinge. 
the hinge, the turning point of history. Because his death on the cross, it wasn't something symbolic. There was a battle that was going on. Something was literally happening that was changing the seen and the unseen realms. See, the cross wasn't just God's means to deal with our personal sin. The cross wasn't God's means to take away all my badness. The cross was God's secret weapon of once and for all dealing with the power of sin and death. Some way, they don't know how, this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, the Messiah did not know sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf that we might become his righteousness. What does that mean? It means in some way, we don't know how, Jesus' body became the accumulation point of all sin, of all all the power of evil, every dark, evil thing, all of it was accumulating, all the sin that had been committed, all of the sin present being, presently being committed against him, and all our sin, somehow it was gathering from past, present, and future into this place on his body, on the cross, and when Jesus died, the power of sin and death died with him. That's why the cross is a turning point, it's a hinge in history. But it gets better because when Jesus went into the grave, guess what? Sin and death went with him into the grave and he rose again and that is what we are celebrating today. And it is the most exciting event. Because see, when he went into the grave, he took our sin, he took our corruption, he took all of the sickness and disease, scripture says, all of it was put on him, and when he went in the grave, it stayed there, but he rose again. And see, what we're celebrating today is God's plan of rescue for all, to free humanity from the grip death of sin. Jesus God in the flesh was now declaring over humanity what sins forgiven meant. It meant not guilty. Your sins are forgiven. You are free. Jesus, it said, had gained all power and authority. He had triumphed over sin and death and every destructive power. But, everyone say but. There is more. Can you say that? There is more because Jesus' death and resurrection was pointing to something greater than what they could imagine, but what they had believed in for centuries. There was a great reversal that was now beginning to take place because where Jesus had gotten baptized, the Jordan River was the original place where God's people stepped into a brand new beginning. When they crossed over the Jordan, they were stepping into a promise. They were now becoming God's people. They were identified as God's people. And in the same way, when Jesus was baptized, there was a brand new beginning that was taking place. 
Jesus was now in, as Israel had now stepped into this role in the same way that Israel was supposed to be God's messengers, bringing his good news, being the light to the world, except they didn't make it that way. They messed up bad. But now Jesus was fulfilling the role. He was stepping into their mission. And he was becoming this light to the world. And his life would now be the one that would be, his life was becoming the channel for God's salvation to the rest of the world. And then after that, he's taken out into the wilderness 40 days for 40 years that Israel had been tested. Except unlike Israel, Jesus passes the test. Ah, so good. He passes the test. And he goes on mission where he is declaring God's kingdom is here. Jesus comes out in power and authority and he starts declaring the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to speak release, to declare release over the captives. He sent me to bring sight to the blind. He sent me to bring freedom to the oppressed, to declare this is the acceptable year of the Lord. That is what he started to declare. God's kingdom is here. And then we have Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper where there's a cup and there's bread, but there's also a Passover lamb, which Jesus was himself becoming. And then we find him in a garden where he's praying. And he's in this intense battle of will. Because now in this garden where humanity all of us in humanity, where we failed the test, where we chose self instead of God, this brand new human, Jesus, what scripture says is the second Adam, this Adam passed the test. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he was tested even further on a tree where he hung on the cross and in a garden where an original living tree brought about death, this dead tree was now bringing about life. This is getting exciting. Are you seeing where it's going? This is so exciting because what this means is when he was put in the tomb, when his body was, when he said, it is finished. Just like God the Father, when God was creating creation on the seventh day, he rested. It is finished. Jesus was in the tomb. He, his body was laid to rest. Just like God did so long ago. Not because he was tired, but because his work of creation was ended. And when Jesus rose again, boom, where are we? Right back 
at the beginning of new creation. His rising from the dead wasn't just to show dead people come alive and will go to heaven someday. No, what he was showing, God's new creation project was starting right now, right here on the planet and every single one of us have now been invited into this mission and plan. This is what resurrection is. This is what resurrection means. See, his resurrection, it wasn't pointing to an afterlife. No, there is an afterlife. And how you experience the afterlife depends on what you believe about Jesus and this story on this side of eternity. But for the disciples, the disciples and the early church, resurrection meant one thing. It meant this. It meant new creation was happening in a way that they had never comprehended. That God in the flesh would not just send a man named Messiah, but God was Messiah. And God in his suffering love had come and done all of the work and now is giving us this invitation to come into new life and rule with him. Now, when it says God's new creation had arrived, does that mean the world is as it should be? No. But what it does mean is Jesus has begun to take the world at that moment of his resurrection. God has begun to take the world from where it was, ruled by fear and greed and sickness and disease and despair and corruption. And he's taking it to where it's supposed to be, reflecting God's ruling love, his life-giving love. And how is he doing it? Everyone put up your hand for a moment. Say this, say, he's doing it through us. That's what he's doing. See, we are carrying on the mission of Jesus in our world. Living on mission isn't an option for people who want to be really good superstar Christians. This is actually what it means to be saved. This is what it means, what salvation is all about. It's, we live in, resurrection is about a reality we live in now. It's about a reality we get to experience now. Everyone say now. Now. It's a reality that we get to, we live in by faith. It's a reality of freedom. It's a reality of wholeness. It's a reality of deliverance. It's a reality of peace. It's a reality of wholeness in our bodies. This is why disease is such an affront to God because it doesn't reflect his new creation. This is why breakdown in relationships where there's rift, it's not just God is mad. That's not, it's, it doesn't reflect God's new creation reality. And there's something that should begin to rise up in us if we are resurrected people to say no 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 this has no place here and see this is what it means to actually live in faith it means to live believing this story is real even though there's so much that conflicts around us even though it's hard to believe it's like well, god this story i don't know and i'm you said this but this is happening this is my experience this is what i'm feeling and this is what i'm seeing and this is what i'm dealing with 
And that's what faith is. It's standing in a reality of what is. It's not trying to grasp something. It's receiving something that's already been given and delivered to you and I. And see, this is what saying yes to Jesus is about. It's saying, yes, I believe, God, you are the God of the great reversal. What do you need him to reverse for you today? You know why I know this story is true? Because I have experienced it over and over and over again, the reality of God making things new, of God putting things right that are not right. Do you know what's so bizarre? I hadn't even made this association until I was already preparing this message that I preached a version of this five years ago. It was April 1st, 2018. And the reason that stands out, because that was the day my husband went to Kelowna to pick up our son and bring him home. After many years of wandering in the wilderness, and he's told his story already. And if you haven't seen it, you can ask him afterwards to go watch his baptism story. But how do I know that God is a God that reverses things? Because I've experienced it, and so many of you have too. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray, and then we are going to worship. And some of you right now, salvation, you are going to have a revelation of salvation for the first time. It's not just praying a prayer, but it's agreeing and saying yes. And church, I want to lead us in this prayer. And especially if you have never made the decision to surrender your life to the King of Kings, who is alive and ruling on the planet now. These are words that can enable that to happen. Can we pray this together? Jesus, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for creating a brand new way of life, a brand new humanity. I say yes to resurrection life and living on mission with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.